Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Missing and Murdered in Georgia, USA podcast. Today, I'm going to be doing um, a very well-known case from the state of Georgia, the Lake Oconee Murders. Um, Where in the world is Russell Derman's head? I guess if we knew that, we would know who murdered this couple. Russell Dermond and Shirley Dermond um, lived at Lake Oconee in a very nice home. I believe it was about a million-dollar home. They had been married for over 60 years at the time of their deaths. They were found murdered in May of 2014, 2014. Um, I believe the, the net worth of this couple when they died was about $1.5 million. So that's you know a pretty well-off couple to me and to most Americans. However, they weren't extravagantly rich, rich or like, um, I guess, you know, like as rich as Bill Gates or President Donald Trump when he was, you know, just a businessman. They weren't billionaires. They weren't multimillionaires, but they were well-off. They were upper-class um, middle class, I would say. I would say they were upper, upper middle class. So they had a nice home and nice belongings, nice cars, but they weren't extravagantly rich kind of people and they weren't extravagant spenders. They were kind of frugal. Um, Russell Dermond worked hard all his life. He was a World War II veteran. He served in the U.S. Navy. He, um, became a um, executive at for clock companies, uh, companies that manufactured clocks, I believe. Um, I believe in New York or New Jersey, um, he worked as an executive. But then later on, he, um, when he retired from being an executive for clock companies, he um, became a franchisee for Hardee's. So he re- retired from his executive positions, but then he became owner of Hardy's franchisees. Um, he kept working, in other words, after he first retired, and he got into a whole new business. Um, so he um, made good money, lived a good life. Um, him and his wife were churchgoers. They um, had four children, and at the time of their deaths, they had nine grandchildren, Um, I'm looking at my notes because there's one thing I know I need to talk about to get it out of the way. Um, oh yes. Okay. So there are four children. One of the things I want to go ahead and get out of the way because I'm not going to be going into this aspect of the case is that. Um, one of their, they had three sons and one daughter. One of their sons um, did die um, from being murdered in Atlanta in a drug deal gone bad. He was, to my understanding, a cocaine or crack addict, and he was an addict for years, and um, his parents spent a lot of money trying to help him get his life straight, but he ended up dying in a drug deal gone bad, and... Um, the way I understand the case 
worked out was his murderer was sent to jail, is still in prison today, was in prison at the time of these murders, and that his parents didn't attend the trial or anything like that. Like, in other words, maybe they were just so over, so sick of and so fed up with his longtime drug use that they just, um, I don't want to say gave up on him, but they just, you know, once he was dead, they were just done. Um, So I mentioned that part. One, I want to get, I will not be discussing his murder in this podcast today because I don't believe his murder had anything to do with their murders, except for the fact that maybe, and I will go into this later, um, it goes to show that maybe not everything in the, not everything was like it isn't in most families. Not everything is as wonderful or peaceful in a family as um, it looks from the outside. So maybe there was some lingering resentment among certain family members over the way the parents treated or their children or one of their children or the way they ended up dealing with having one child who was a drug addict. So anyway, I'll get into that later. But um, going back to the beginning, Russell Dermond and Shirley Dermond um, were found deceased in May of 2014. Russell Dermond was decapitated, um, they believe, after his death. And I say after his death because there was blood found where his body was found, but it wasn't, to my understanding, just from reading all the news articles, watching all the news videos I could of this case, it wasn't an overwhelming amount of blood in the garage where his body was found. So it leads, I believe, the it led the police to believe, and it makes me think, and also I guess the person who did the autopsy, that he was killed post, or excuse me, that his head was decapitated post-mortem, meaning after death. Because if they had cut it off while he was still alive, and this is very gory, but, you know, a lot more blood would have spurted out. So unless he was um, decapitated somewhere else besides the garage, and there's another crime scene that the police don't know about, Um, He was probably most likely decapitated after death, meaning after he was completely dead, not just he wasn't unconscious or he wasn't alive and awake laying there while they were cutting his head off. He was actually deceased. Um, In my opinion, the reason he was decapitated was due to the fact that the head had some evidence that they needed to get rid of. The killer or killers um, didn't remove the head just to be macabre or gory or and some people theorize like this this these murders were done by cult. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe it's any kind of cult or religious or satanic ceremony or act or deed. I don't believe that has anything to do with this case whatsoever. Um, His head is gone. So I I named the title of this podcast in the video for YouTube, 
the Lake Oconee murders, where in the world is Russell Durman's head? Because if we knew where his head was, obviously that would be a huge piece of evidence, I think. But after all this time, you know, it's clearly they hid it so well it will never be found. Or, you know, it could have been burned, buried, or it's in the lake. Now, in my opinion... His head might be at the bottom of Lake Oconee, and they just can't find it because Lake Oconee is a huge, huge lake. It is actually, I have it written down somewhere. Let me check my notes. Okay, yes, it's like over a 19,000-acre lake. So it's big, and there are lots of entry routes and exit routes to the lake. And in other words, a lot of ways to have access to the lake. So it's just a huge, huge body of water. And even with the most sophisticated equipment that they have today, like the sonar equipment, you can't necessarily find a skull or a body in a big lake like that. The only reason, in my opinion, they got lucky and found Mrs. Derman's body was because um, it was found by accident. Fishermen found it. They didn't find it while they were searching the lake with all their fancy equipment. The only reason it became found was because it floated up to the top and men, two, I think it was two men fishing, saw the body floating and that's how her body got discovered. If it had not broken, if her body had not broken away from the two cinder blocks that it was tied to, it probably would have just laid there at the bottom of the lake and never have been found, even by the most fanciest sonar equipment. Because the body was found like five to six miles away, away from the Dermans' home. So her body was obviously transported by boat away from the home to be found in such a deep area, area of the lake so far away. So a boat, I would say, was definitely involved in this case. Russell Derman's body was discovered on May 6, 2014. The last time he was seen alive was at a public shopping store, grocery store on May 2nd, I believe. So the police believe that his um, their murders took place sometime between May 2nd or May 3rd through May 5th. Um, like I've said, his, his head has never been found. Um, to me, I think it probably is in Lake Oconee because that's where they threw her body. So it would make sense that they threw his head there. Um, they were much better at getting getting rid of the head in the lake because... Um, obviously, obviously, the head is smaller, and it's much easier to stay at the bottom of the lake. It's not going to float up like Mrs. Derman's body did due to the bloating. Um, so even though they tied Mrs. Derman's body down with two cinder blocks that were, to my understanding, in a nylon bag, and then the nylon bag was tied to her ankles, either the killers were not... Um, experienced at this so they did not understand that the body would eventually break away and float up or they didn't think that it would or so like some people 
theorized that they wanted the body to be discovered eventually. And some people think they were just stupid and that they, they thought, you know, tying it to center blocks, throwing it in the deep part of the water, that it would never float up, that it would stay there and most likely never be found or at least not be found for a very long, long time. Okay, in the Dermans home, there is no evidence of forced entry. There is no evidence of a struggle, according to authorities. Uh, Mrs. Dermans' body surfaced 10 days later. Her body was found on May 16th of 2014. Um, like I said, she was found in Lake Oconee, about six miles away from their home. Mrs. Derman died of blunt force trauma to the head, which basically means the woman was beat to death. I have not read any information on what the instrument was used, what in instrument was used to beat her to death, but I know that sometimes in cases they can tell pretty much what was used to beat somebody in the head by the, um, the look of the injuries, by the injuries. They can look at the injuries and tell if it was a hammer or, you know, uh, the butt of a gun or something like that. So um, they have not, if they know, they haven't released that information or I have not found it anywhere. But she was um, beat to death in the head. Her body had been weighted down by two cement blocks in a nylon bag that were tied to her ankles. Okay, let's go back to Russell Derman's body. Russell Derman's body was found in the garage. Um, as you know, he was decapitated, so there's just his body. His head was nowhere to be found. Um, to my understanding, there were, were near his body or around his body two towels used to help soak up the blood. And I read that the police thought so that the blood would not creep out from under the garage door. Maybe they did that to keep people from discovering the body sooner. Like if people had gone by the house or neighbors had come over some of the mailman or somebody come to the front door, they would see the blood seeping out from under the garage door and know that something was wrong. So the, apparently they used the two towels and the police say the two towels came from inside of the Dermond home. So two towels were used to soak up the blood around Russell Dermond's body in the garage. To my understanding, there were drag marks located near his body in the garage. So to me, that says that they moved it for some reason. And to my understanding, the body was found in between two, uh, two cars in the garage. They had two vehicles parked in the garage, and his body was found in between those, to my understanding from what I've read, if the information in the news articles was correct. So if his body was found in between two cars and there were drag marks in blood, that would tell me that they moved his body either to conceal it between two cars. So maybe like, let's say if his wife was still alive in the house and she walked to the garage, she would not see it first thing. Maybe it was somebody who had, they killed him and then they lured her to the garage 
and they did not want her to see his body. The Dermans were supposed to attend a Kentucky Derby watch party with their neighbors on May 3rd, 2014. They did not show up to that watch party, so the you know that's another reason, you know, the police think they died between May 2nd and May 3rd. Um on May 6th, the neighbors went over to their home to check on them because they hadn't heard from them and they didn't show up to their party. And that they walked all over the house. The door was unlocked and they walked all through the house, did not see anything unusual or anything out of place. And it wasn't until I believe the husband walked to the garage and through the garage did he discover Russell Derman's body. And then they contacted 911. Apparently, the children have said, the children of the Dermans have said that they were religious about locking their doors and turning on their home security system, um, according to at least one of their sons. Um, like I said before, they had uh, four children. One was deceased, but they had uh, two living sons and one um, living daughter and nine grandchildren. Um, and I imagine that some of the grandchildren were adults by that time because the Dermans were in their 80s so their and their children are middle aged so I'm sure they had at least one um, adult grandchild. The killers might have gained access to the property via a boat rather than a vehicle and there are several reasons for that because there was a guard gate at the entrance to their community that had security cameras. Now the security cameras ended up not working at the time of these murders because of a lightning storm apparently had disabled the security camera. So they weren't working, but if the killers had driven in, they would not know that this necessarily, unless it's somebody, you know, uh, like an inside job, somebody living there in the community or who worked at the guardhouse, the killers would not know that the security cameras were not working and so police think that a boat was used, and that makes sense, obviously, because of where Mrs. Sturman's body was found, way out in the deep part of the lake, six miles away. So I would say definitely 100%, some way or another, a boat, a boat was involved in this case. Whether it was a boat... Okay, one theory of this case is that this was a crime of a serial killer. I don't think that's what happened here, but but it is possible um, because serial killers do sometimes randomly pick victims and there's no reason why they just, like um, one serial killer I can think of was Israel Keys, I think was his name, Israel Keys, who was who traveled all over the U.S. just about murdering people. Um, of course, we know he's not responsible for these murders because he was already deceased at the time. I believe he died in 2012 in prison. He committed suicide. But anyway, um, Israel Keys is just an example of there are serial killers who just thrill kill and pick victims at randomly, and they don't necessarily do it to rob them 
or to sexually assault them. They do it for the thrill of it. But I don't think this case is that of a serial killer because the crime scene seems to be so well um, clean, so well not messy. Like the crime scene is not messy. So that also leads me to another theory is that it's like a drug addict or some psycho killer, whatever. But the crime scene to me is just too perfect to have been like a psycho killer just randomly happened to come up to their home or was on the lake that day for a boat ride and decided to pick them at random to kill them. I mean, the crime scene, it was just, to me, it's not a murder by people who were in a hurry to get some money to go buy drugs or something like that. I think it was a sort of a, a well-planned murder, well thought out. Um, another theory for this case is that the murders were the result of a botched robbery or extortion attempt. I can see that theory that somebody who lived near the Dermans or who knew them from when they would go um, to town to do their banking or whatever, like let's say a bank teller, like a bank teller who um, knew them from them coming in the bank would know how much money they have in the bank and how they did their banking and possibly thought that maybe they had lots of cash in their home and thought this would be a good place to rob to get some cash. But to my knowledge, the police don't think that any cash was stolen from the home and that they they didn't own a safe at the home and that there weren't loads of cash in the home. And another thing that makes me think this theory can't be correct is because if somebody who knew them or knew of them that thought that they had lots of money in the home or were well off and had they had, why didn't, why didn't they steal anything else from the home? If they didn't have loads of money, well, what about jewelry or something else? Now, like I said in the beginning, they were not extravagant people. They did not like have expensive art hanging on the wall and she probably didn't have diamonds laying all over the house, but they did have some nice items, I understand, like Rolex watches and stuff like that. Why was that not taken? I mean, if you go there looking for money and it doesn't, you know, and you had the time to to kill them in the way that they were killed, why not take the time to take a watch or take something? Now, some people say that that's because they knew that any item they took could be traced back to them, like they couldn't pawn it or sell it because they would get caught that way. Well, that's true. But if you go there to rob somebody, I mean, you want to come back with something. And maybe there is something missing from the home that the police do not know about. But according to the police and apparently the family and the neighbors, nothing looked out of place in the home and nothing was missing. So it's like nobody really went through the home very well seeing if they if they had anything of value for them to take. It's like nobody really was concerned too much with going through the home looking for money, valuables, 
jewelry um, or paperwork or credit cards or debit cards or through their wallets or cell phones or anything like that. So now we get, I'm going to give, we get to my theory about this case. And I would love to know if anybody out there agrees with me or thinks I'm right, at least on some points of why I have the theory that I do. I totally, totally believe in, remember, this is just my theory and I am not a professional. I'm not a detective. I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not in criminal justice in any way. And also I'm not on a jury. So every, you know, my opinion doesn't mean anything. So just because what I think of something, it does not mean that um, my opinion is going to hurt anybody because it's just my opinion. I'm not, you know, deciding guilt or innocence on a jury. So I'm not going to put anybody in prison with my opinion or anything. So this is just my personal opinion from little old me. It doesn't mean jack squat. So I want to say all that because my opinion um, involves family members. So they've been through a lot already. I mean, having your parents murdered and the way their parents were murdered was awful. So I don't want to cause any more pain to family members. Um, but this is um, my theory on this case. I think the person or persons, the killer or killers responsible for these deaths were family members. I believe possibly a child or children or grandchild or grandchildren were involved. I believe either did it themselves or hired somebody to do it. Because for me, looking at this case, looking at all the aspects of this case, the only people who really stand to benefit from the deaths of these two people were the children and the family members. I have not seen the will of the Dermans, of Russell Dermond or Shirley Dermond. If they had a will, I assume that they did. And I don't know if they had insurance policies on their lives. I assume they assume they did. I assume at least maybe Russell did. Um, to my understanding, he was the main breadwinner of the family. I could be wrong. Maybe Mrs. Derman worked too at one time. But um, to, So I don't know this to be exact or 100%, but I believe that they did have insurance policy, or at least Russell probably did. I believe... Um, they probably, since they were well off, they probably had a will. And the reason I think it was an inside job, because the people who do did this seemed to know too much about the layout of the home or the, the, the lake. They, they seemed to be familiar with their routine, the home, the lake, and everything. They seemed to not to have been in a rush. They seemed to be able to take their time at the crime scene and that would mean that they either knew these people or they were given information by somebody who did know them about their routine and their lifestyle and how the lake was and how their home sat in the back of a cul-de-sac and it was very private um very uh like unless you're driving by the home or you know you take your boat right up in up to their dock you you don't really see 
everything going on at their home. Like they're very well, you know, like there's trees and everything. And in other words, not just anybody would know um, all this information. It had to be somebody who knew them or who um, had gotten information from somebody who did know them. So that's why I think it's a family member or family members involved. Now, I do not know the financial situation of the Derman children. I don't know if any of them were in financial hardships. But my gut feeling, and it's been my gut feeling from for quite a while since probably around 2014 when I first heard about this case, is that my gut feeling was that somebody in the family just got tired, maybe more than one person, just got tired of waiting for these people to pass away. These people were well into their 80s, but they were going strong. They still had an independent lifestyle. To my knowledge, I think both of them still drove their own vehicles. Uh, The last time Mr. Dorman was seen was at a public grocery store and in the surveillance video you can go online to youtube and see um their surveillance video of the last time that he was known to be alive shopping at Publix. he seems like a very um robust individual in other words he wasn't crippled he wasn't you know that slow he wasn't watching excuse me he wasn't walking hunched over like some elderly people do due to um you know, uh, medical ailments or physical ailments that they have. They were both doing pretty good. Now, Russell Derman's autopsy did show that he had atherosclerosis, whatever. But of course, most people's autopsy would show that even if they don't die of a heart attack, because a lot of us, even in our 40s or 30s, have that. So he was, they were doing pretty good. Um, I don't know how much longer, and you know, nobody does, how much longer they would have lived if they had been able to die of natural causes. But they were, you know, living a nice, pleasant, it seemed like a nice, pleasant retirement life. Um, and they were enjoying the fruits of their labor. You know, they had worked hard all their lives, saved their money, raised their kids. And now we're just enjoying, you know, their um, peaceful life on the lake. And, you know, probably enjoyed spending time with their grandkids. And just, um, to my understanding, Mrs. Derman liked to play bridge. They, um, I think, liked to go to movies and stuff like that. Just, you know, just a regular normal things that people do if they have the time and the money to do them. So it seems to me that, unfortunately... Some person or persons just got tired of waiting for this couple to die. Their kids were middle-aged, I believe in their 50s if or close to their 50s, either 40s, 60s, but I think they were in their 50s. So they were middle-aged. And to my knowledge, at least one of their grandchildren were was an adult at the time of their murder. So, you know, they're... It, if it wasn't a child, it could have very well been a grandchild or somebody acting on behalf of one of their children or grandchildren. Because it, I don't know what was in their wills or who were the beneficiaries on any insurance policies, 
but I have a feeling it had to be, you know, the children and or grandchildren and or nieces, nephews, siblings. I don't know if the Dermans had siblings, but um, probably, you know, most of their estate, of their money, of their assets, of their insurance was going to go to the kids and our grandkids. So I hope the police investigated fully or are investigating fully the financial situations of all their kids and adult grandchildren. Just because their kids, you know, don't seem to be hurting for money or weren't hurting for money at the time doesn't mean that one or more of them did not want to live a better life. Like the the Dermen seem to have a, a comfortable life. Maybe their kids, I don't know how well off their kids were. Maybe one or more of their kids weren't living as comfortable as they were. Maybe they weren't as well off as their parents were. I believe that one of their kids or more than one just got tired of waiting um, waiting for their inheritance. And it's hard for me to say this because, you know, this is a, a still a current case. This isn't like an old case from way long ago. Like you can just talk about it and not worry about hurting people, hurting people's feelings or you know, accusing somebody of something that they had nothing to do with. But so this is just my theory. As I've said before, I think the family was definitely involved. I think the reason Shirley Dermond was found at the lake and the water tied to cinder blocks was because um, they beat her in the head and they're maybe afraid of DNA evidence being found on her or something incriminating. So they wanted to get rid of her body and they hoped that the water would destroy that evidence or... They didn't think that she would be found and so that they wouldn't have to worry about any evidence on her being found. And it, her body wasn't as important to be found as Mr. Derman's body was. I believe Mr. Derman's body was left in the garage so that it would be found. I believe because the police say they did find gunshot or, or um, yeah, gunshot residue on or near his body that he probably was shot in the head and the reason for them taking the head was because it did contain evidence and the evidence could have led to the gun used or the killer somehow and so they took it to hide that evidence but I think the body was left behind on purpose I don't I think some people say oh his body was too heavy to put in the lake or they couldn't put both of their bodies in the boat to dump them or they didn't have enough cinder blocks which could be very well true that they you know they had two cinder blocks apparently that they brought with them and they used those for Mrs. Dermond and they didn't have more cinder blocks to weight his body down so they just um, took his head to get rid of that but my thinking is that they left the body behind purposely because they needed Mr. Derman's body to be found. And like 
some people theorize, well, because they wanted to send a message, a headless body would send a message to somebody. I don't believe it was like a mafia hit or cult hit or anything like that or for revenge. I believe it it was left there so that there would be 100% evidence, 100% proof that Russell Dorman was in fact deceased because he needed to be deceased so that the um, people who would inherit his estate, his money, his assets, and his insurance policies would get them sooner rather than later. Because remember, my theory on this is, you know, the, somebody in the family wanted their inheritance now. They didn't want to wait. And so they obviously couldn't have his body not be found because that would mean they would still be waiting. Like they're waiting on, they got too impatient waiting for them to die naturally that waiting for his body to be found or to be declared dead when his body could never be found would be too long of a process. They wanted things to go quickly. They wanted the family's wealth to be distributed to the kids and our grandkids quick, quicker rather than later. Um, some other reasons of why I think it was family who did this, but like I said, the, the crime scene was so kind of clean. Um, I said before that their house was worth, I think, around a million dollars when they bought it. And at the time of their death, it was worth around a million dollars. Well, several years later, to my understanding, it was sold for around $660,000, which is a lot of money to me. But, um, you know, sometimes when bad things happen in homes, you know, murders take place, horrific murders, or, you know, they're hard, harder to sell. They don't make as much money as they're worth. And nothing in that house was disturbed. There was no blood evidence, at least that, to according to the police. Now, maybe they're holding back evidence because sometimes they do that in investigations to help them catch the killers. But there was nothing disturbed in the house. There was no blood evidence. Nothing bad took place in the home. And to me, that just gives me more evidence to the, my theory that because it was the children involved in their murders and they didn't want the house to be unsellable. They wanted the house to, when it was sold, to make money because they would benefit from it. So the the only crime scene was in the garage, but the crime scene on the garage, and I assume the garage floor was a cement floor, was would be easily cleaned up. And having, you know, a dead body in the garage isn't as nearly as bad as having people dead in a bedroom or on the kitchen floor. Because, like, when you're going to sell a house, you know, you don't want to know, or you don't want to have to tell people. And if you're buying a house, you don't want to have to know that, oh, oh, this is the room where... So, so and so was murdered, or you know, this is the kitchen here, and this is where some poor old lady was found battered to death in the kitchen. So, to me, that's one of the reasons they did not find any evidence of their murders having taken place inside the home itself was because whoever 
did this did not want the murders to take place in the home for specific reasons. I think even Russell Derman being found in the garage maybe wasn't necessarily how they wanted it to go, but apparently he fought a little bit, at least a little bit, when he knew that he was going to be killed or knew that he was under some kind of threat because he had defensive wounds apparently on his hands and other you know, marks on his body that proved that he was battered or he was involved in a little bit of a struggle at least before he was killed. So it makes me think that they may not have wanted even Russell Derman to be found or body to be in the home or maybe they did, maybe the garage was okay. Cause like I said, having a dead body in a garage on a cement floor is better than within the home. That's the only blood evidence they had is Russell Derman's body in the garage. And maybe the only reason there's blood and blood ended up in the garage because they had to decapitate him because they ended up having to shoot him in the head and they had to take the evidence. I mean, the killer or killers put towels there. And as I stated before, the police thought that the towels were used to soak up blood so it wouldn't creep up under the garage doors because they didn't want to be their bodies or his body to be found quickly. They wanted to have more time. And that makes sense because the garage doors... When I look at the pictures, you can see the garage doors from like the mailbox and like the mailman or delivery person or somebody walking down the street could have seen all the, the red blood and know that it was blood and alert authorities and they could have been found sooner. Um, even possibly while the killers were still there doing their, their dirty deeds. So the towels being used to soak up blood could be the save time, but it could also be somebody who was just very meticulous didn't like messes like like a can't think of the word for him but like a clean freak like a cleaning freak somebody who doesn't like messes and from interviews I've seen that very much reminds me of one of their kids but I'm not going to give specific names of who I think was involved but just know, I think it was definitely a family member, and I think it was a child or grandchild, but I'm not going to get into specifics because, you know, I have no way of knowing if I'm right, and I definitely do not want to directly accuse somebody by name. But, I mean, obviously, y'all know who I'm talking about because you can just look up their three living children and find out, you know, what their names are. But And look up interviews that they've given, or at least a couple of them have given um to my understanding the um, law enforcement the sheriff of putnam county has stated that the family was you know thoroughly investigated and they don't they're not suspects they don't believe they had anything to do with it of course they may say that but they don't maybe they don't really believe it because they just they just don't have evidence so they don't want to say one way or the other but I hope that they were thoroughly investigated and are still being thoroughly investigated 
because I believe at least one of the family members was very intelligent, intelligent enough to plan well, to plan something like this very well, and meticulous enough to not do anything to leave evidence behind that they did do this. It is my understanding that all of the children had alibis. But what kind of alibis? Were they like 100% they were like in a store at such and such time? Or were they, you know, they have them on security tape or footage? Or was it the kind of alibi where like their spouse or a family member or friend said, oh, yeah, they were here, you know, like could somebody be lying for them? Or was it the kind of alibi where, you know, to my understanding, one child lived in North Carolina and other two children were in Florida. So none of the children were in the state at the time. And I don't know where the, if they had, you know, any adult grandchildren were, but could it have been possible? Was there enough time lapse involved in their alibis that they could have driven, especially overnight? Some theories of this case is that the, the murders took place overnight because nobody saw anything or saw Mrs. Derman's body being dumped or anything suspicious like that. So I think that the murders could have took place overnight or at least part of this, um, part of these crimes could have took place in the darkness. Could one of their children have made a drive from out of state? Florida and North Carolina aren't, you know, that far from Georgia. I think it takes me like, what, six to eight hours to drive from where I live in Georgia to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Is it possible that their alibis maybe aren't as airtight as the police seem to think that they are? Or could it have be that they um, hired somebody or used another family member who maybe the police didn't look at as carefully to actually carry out these crimes? But I kind of actually think it was actually like maybe one of the kids actually did it themselves. But it, it's hard to think that a child would have the ability to, first of all, murder their own parents. But then second of all, to desecrate their bodies in the way that they were desecrated. But it would explain why maybe there wasn't too much of a struggle in the house or because if it the person who murdered them was somebody the couple knew well there, you know, they wouldn't have, have a need to struggle until they realized something bad was up. And maybe that's how Russell Dermond ended up with some injuries that he had. I believe that the killer or killers, whether it's a family member or not, or whether it was somebody hired by a family member or not, the killer or killers definitely used a boat, and they also had a vehicle like a pickup truck to haul the boat, because I don't believe it was somebody actually living on the lake who had just, who had a boat on the lake, who just took their boat into their house, but that is very possible that it could have been somebody who lived on the lake, and they could 
um, totally get to and from their home by boat. They didn't need a vehicle at all. But like I said, it's a great big lake and there are many entrance points and exit points some ways to get to the lake. You don't have to live on the lake to put a boat in the lake. You don't have to, you know, own a home there to have access to the lake. And once you're in the lake in a boat, you can go all over the lake. So I definitely think a, it, a boat was involved, but whether, rather if they had a vehicle somewhere to hitch the boat to, to then drive back to wherever they came from or where they lived, or whether they actually lived on the lake, I don't know. But I don't think they did live on the lake. I think the person who committed these murders actually took a boat or stole a boat or borrowed a boat, rented a boat or had their own boat. And I have no idea of what kind of boat it was, but I know that apparently the boat was able to transport Mrs. Derman's body. And it also had on it at one time at least two cinder blocks. So, you know, we're not talking about a canoe, in other words. We're not talking about a, a little boat or, or a flotation device. Obviously, we're talking about a boat, a regular, a, a motorboat. Um, so I definitely think the killers gained access to the home by boat and not through a vehicle driving through the neighborhood. Like they did not go past the guard entrance. To my understanding, even though the even though the security cameras were not working at the time, there are actual live guards on duty at the guard house. Like when you first go in the community, there's a, one of those little guard houses. And um, so the killers would not want to have been seen by any living guard there or security camera. So unless it was like an inside job and they the, the security guard you know, was involved and would not tell on them or they knew that the security cameras were not working, I think they definitely gained access to the home by boat. And I think it was people who knew that the Dermans did not have security cameras. Now, they had a security system and um, they, apparently they always locked their doors, but apparently they did not have any security cameras. And also the killers probably thought or knew that other community members did have security cameras at their homes, like their neighbors probably had security cameras or ring doorbells or something like that. This was 2014, and the technology was around. You know, they had some pretty good security cameras then, too. This wasn't that long ago. And so the killers would not have tried, in my opinion, to gain access to the community by a vehicle. They Driving through a community would have left them exposed to any security cameras that were working in the neighborhood on other homes. And going back to what I stated earlier about I don't think it, the Dermans murders had anything at all to do with their son's murder. Because I don't, because there's just no evidence and there's no reason for it to have anything to do with his murder. That was just a drug deal gone bad and they really didn't have a lot to do with the murder of their son being put away 
um, to my understanding, they did not even attend the, the trial. So I'm thinking that had nothing at all to do with the murders, but maybe their other son's death, or not his death, but um, his or their bad relationship with him due to the fact that he was a drug dealer, or just maybe there was some resentment in the family, lingering resentment. You know, families always have secrets, and families aren't always happy together all the time. Grown children can have lingering resentments from anything that happened in the past or, you know, um, there could be that maybe one of the children were afraid that if they were in the will, that the will would be changed and they wouldn't be in the will any longer. I have heard no evidence of any feuds going on between family members or the, the parents and the kids, but maybe one of the kids feared that they would be, they were in the will, but they would be taken out of the will. So they needed the parents to die sooner rather than later. Or like I said, my main theory is that I just think one or more family members, and I believe to be a child, possibly a grandchild, but I believe to be one of the kids, just got tired of waiting for their inheritance and or insurance money. So I think that's definitely where police should look very, very hard. Of course, they should look at all as, all of the theories very, very hard. Until this case is solved, you know, nobody knows where they should be looking. <laughs> but I think definitely with a nice older couple like this who seemed to have no enemies and who made their money legitimately, they weren't in the mafia, they weren't... Um, like unethical business people, Mr. Dermond seemed to have made his money ethically and legally and worked hard for it all his life. He was, you know, and was a World War II veteran. They seemed to be people, a couple who actually lived a good, decent life. And so I think that definitely this crime was committed by one of their children or somebody acting on behalf of one, or at least one of their children. It could have been a conspiracy among more, maybe more than one family member. It's just, my gut has always told me that this case involved family members. Maybe I'm just pessimistic and think, you know, there are lots of greedy people in this world, but... There always has to be a motive for murder. There can be thrill killers who just kill for the fun of it, but that's a motive. They kill because they get off on it, they like it. There are people who kill for money. And since I haven't really seen any evidence on the theory that somebody randomly chose them to rob them, like somebody who knew them or knew of them, Maybe, like I said before, a bank teller, an employee at a store they went to, a neighbor's child, or to my understanding, their neighbors were a lot of older people, but they, they can have grown kids or visitors that could have become acquainted with the Dermans or who knew of them or learned of them. 
So the, to me, that theory, because the way the crime scene was with a total lack of evidence, a total lack of anything in the home except for the garage, but nothing within the home, unless the police just haven't released that information yet, there is nothing in the home to state that a crime was committed within the home whatsoever. So that means that, okay, we know Russell was either killed in the garage or killed somewhere else. And Mrs. Derman def definitely, if Mrs. Derman had been killed in the home, there would be blood spatter somewhere if she was beaten to death in the head. That would definitely leave blood spatter somewhere. So unless the blood spatter was outside somewhere and the police just did not find any blood on the ground or the grass or the leaves around, then she was probably murdered in a boat or in a vehicle. So that would fit the robbery scenario that she was transported by boat and then up to a dock. Um, to a vehicle to take her, like transport her to a bank or somewhere to get money because they were trying to extort them for money and they kept Russell behind at the house and they took her to get the money and something went wrong and they ended up with nothing because the way that, to my understanding, the Dermans did their banking, they would, wouldn't have access to ATMs. And if somebody robbed them just to take them to an ATM to get money, that would be a you know, they'd have to keep them for several days to get a huge amount of money because, to my knowledge, even wealthy people, I mean, the bank only allows you to get so much money out of an ATM daily. I mean, you can request for your bank to up your ATM limits, but I still think there's like a, a limit, an upper limit that you, know, you can't just go to the bank and get $10,000 of, out of an ATM, to my knowledge, because I'm not a millionaire, so I don't know. <laughs> But to my knowledge, you can't go get large, large sums of money, thousands of dollars at one time or in one day at a bank. So unless somebody was going to take Mrs. Derman to a bank and force her to go into the bank and withdraw a large sum of cash under the threat that they were going to kill her husband back at the house if she did not, that's, I don't see what, how any robber or thief would think that they would get away with getting large amounts of money. But then again, thieves can be stupid. But these thieves, if these thieves were so stupid, they sure did get lucky with not leaving a lot of evidence behind or not being seen anywhere. And also, there is no evidence, to my knowledge, that Mrs. Dermond or Mr. Dermond was were seen at a bank on that day by surveillance cameras or that they went into their banks and, the, you know, there was no attempt for them to withdraw large sums of money or even go into their banks around the time that they were killed. Other than, you know, the day that, the last day that Mr. Dermond was seen alive, he did some banking, but he um, was alive after that. You know, he went grocery shopping to Publix. He was seen on camera still alive. He wasn't kidnapped from the bank. Um, so I I don't even see that theory. The, the only theory that totally makes sense to me is that one or more of their family members got tired of waiting for them to die to get their money or to get some money. 
and it may not, you know, they may not have had a conflict or ongoing feud with their parents. They just got tired of waiting and they, due to a lack of conscience, it did not bother them to take their parents out early to get that money, to get their inheritance. And, you know, they wanted the money now rather than later. Greed is one of the seven deadly sins, and I think it definitely played a part in these murders. But I think also, you know, maybe one or more of the children, family members did have some spite toward their parents. And so it wasn't that hard for them to decide to murder them or to hire somebody to murder them. There was some resentment there, and what it had to do with, I have no idea because this, you know, this, this is not a public family. This was just a regular family. It was an upper class family, but a regular family. And I don't even know what their kids do for a living or how well off they are or were at the time of these murders in 2014. But I know people have been murdered for a lot less. People have been murdered for $5, you know, in street crime. That is not so far-fetched to think that a child would murder their parents for a small amount of money, which, you know, thousands of dollars or a million dollars, whatever they inherited or gained from insurance may not have been a whole lot, but it's, you know, it's a lot of money to us, but still it's not enough to murder your own parents. But there are people who do that. And the reason I'm able to come to to my theory and really think that, you know, it's not so far-fetched just because things like this have happened before. If you're into true crime like I am, you know there are cases where, you know, parents murder their children and dismember their bodies. There are cases where children murder their parents and dismember their bodies. This is not so far-fetched. I guess because this is like an upper-class elderly couple, people think, gosh, who would want to hurt them? Or No way their child could hurt them or want them dead or, or desecrate their body or allow somebody else to desecrate their body. But, oh, yes, they could. Of one example, a case in Wisconsin, a man murdered his parents. He walked into their home one day, walked up behind his mom, who I think was at the computer, and shot her to death and shot his dad to death over money because his parents were going to, he, he was a grown man, but were, his parents were going to cut him off financially because he had, he wasn't a grown adult, had his own family, but he had borrowed so much money over the years and lost his money. I, I think he might have been a gambler though. I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, he murdered his parents and his sister could not believe it that you know, her brother murdered their parents and their parents were good people. And he seemed like a good man. It seemed like a good family, uh, you know, living a nice middle-class or upper middle, middle-class life. So this stuff does happen. There are many more cases. That's just one I happen to think of. I don't remember the killer's name, but I don't want to give publicity to a killer anyway. So, but you can look it up. It happened in Wisconsin. And that's just one of many cases where, you know, there are lots of them. I can't think of specific names, but like, um, oh, the case in Beverly Hills where those two 
and I can't think of their names, but I don't care because I don't want to give them publicity, but of those two young men who shot their parents to death while they were sitting on a sofa sofa in Beverly Hills, and they were convicted. Um, So, you know, people can do all kinds of horrible things to people, and even their own blood, even their own parents or their own children. So it's not so far-fetched to think that their parents could have done something that upset them sometime in their life and they held a resentment a resentment or a grudge. But I don't even really think that that's necessary in this case. I think in this case it may the motive may purely be greed in that they the the person who did this may not have necessarily had a grudge against the parents, but they needed the parents to die sooner rather than later, and they just got tired of waiting on the inheritance, in my opinion. So that's my theory on this case, just my opinion on this case. And I would love to know what other people's theories are. I've read a lot of information and theories about this case, but a lot of people bring up points and ideas that even I didn't think of. And so if there are other points or ideas that I haven't thought of or mentioned, I would love to hear them because this case, I keep going over this case over and over in my head trying to, and the reason is because one day I hope that it will be solved and I will know if I'm right or not. So I, you know, trying to see what I come up with based on the evidence. And of course, I'm not, you know, a detective on the case, so I don't have access to all the evidence, but from everything I've read and watched and heard about this case, from the media, the um, law enforcement involved in the case, and from um, investigative reporters, my theory on this case is that it was a family member, most likely a child, at least one child, who either did it themselves or hired somebody to do it. And it's all because the money. They just got tired of waiting on their parents to die to get the money. Russell Derman's body was left in the garage and not thrown in a lake or disposed of some other way because they needed his body to be found to prove that he was dead. And the only reason the head was taken because the head contained evidence that could have led to the killers possibly, that the head taking wasn't necessarily, you know, meant that it was a sign of revenge or they did that out of vengeance or hatred. It was just the thing that they needed to do, they thought to hide evidence that could lead back to them because maybe the killer used a gun that could have been traced back to them. Maybe the killer was in law enforcement and like once the police, you know, got the bullet out of the body, they would say, oh, this is the type of bullets used by police officers or this, you know, this is the type of gun used by police officers. So they start looking at police officers, something like that. I'm not saying it was police officer. I'm saying that Something about the the head, the bullet in the head, the evidence would have given the police some clues and the killers did not want to do that. So I, de- I definitely think it was a child. I definitely think it involved greed, just money. Just they got tired of waiting on their inheritance. So I would love to know what you think about this case, what your theory is, or what even, like, 
some people may have the same theory as I do that it was a kid, but they think I've got all the scenario wrong or all the reasons why certain things were done wrong. So I would love to hear your theories. You can contact me at justiceingeorgia411 at gmail.com. That's justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E. In Georgia, that's I-N-G-A, just the abbreviation for Georgia, 411 at gmail.com. And also, I'd like to let y'all know there is a reward. As far as I know, the reward's still available, like over $50,000. I believe 30000 of the reward in this case was put up by a Lake Oconee um, resort owner or president. And then I think like 20000 was put up by the FBI and some more money was put up by somebody else or some other, maybe the Putnam County Sheriff's Department. I don't know, but I believe as far as I know, the reward is still out there. It's available for, and it's over $50,000 leading to an arrest in this case. And I just read that leading to an arrest in this case, I don't know if they actually have to be convicted or not for you to get reward money, but there are ways to anonymously report tips. So, if you are afraid um, to give your name and a tip, do it anonymously. And there are ways, to my understanding, to get reward money and still give a tip anonymously. So do not be scared to give a tip if you know anything whatsoever that could help police solve this case. Please contact the Putnam County Sheriff's Office. Or you can contact your local authorities or um, contact the FBI. To my knowledge, and this is one thing I don't like about this case, is the G- GBI, Georgia Bureau of, of Investigation, is not involved in this case. And to my knowledge, that is because the sheriff of Putnam County has not asked them to be. I think after all this time, they should be. That this case hasn't been solved yet in the state of Georgia citizens and citizens of the whole country. You know, we deserve justice in all criminal cases. And the sheriff, I don't know if it's due to pride or ego or whatever reason he wants to get the credit for solving this case because he is an elected sheriff and he's never lost or left a case unsolved before. He wants to be the one who solves it. But It is now 2020. This case happened in 2014, and it was a horrific case because it involved elderly victims. And, you know, a lot of time kids and elderly are considered helpless, like they weren't able to defend themselves like a younger adult could have. And they were law-abiding citizens. And and also because Mr. Derman's head was cut off, that was just another thing that added to the horrificness of this case, and it needs to be solved. So the Putnam County Sheriff needs to get the GBI involved if that would help, and I I think it probably would. So if you have any information whatsoever, go ahead and contact the GBI tip line, even though they're not directly involved in this case. And I think that's the line that you can be anonymous on. But the Putnam County Sheriff's Office number is 706 Four eight five eight five five seven. So if you have any information at all, contact the Putnam County Sheriff's Office at 706-485-8557 or contact your local authorities 
or the FBI or the GBI to pass along your information because this case needs to be solved. And also, I'm going to be putting up an actual YouTube video about this case on YouTube. And my YouTube channel is called Missing and Murdered in Georgia, USA. Um, kind of a long name, but it's Missing and Murdered in Georgia, USA. And that's a YouTube channel where I'm going to be putting up a video. And in the video, you'll get to see pictures and stuff. So thank you. And I hope you have a blessed day. And I hope this crime gets solved soon.